Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Recalibrating the Scales. I'm your host and Chief Executive Resolutionist, Normie Avasca Scales, at your disposal. Controlled, the screen addiction pandemic. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's indeed been an extended yet refreshing sabbatical. Nevertheless, let's get down to brass tacks. Former addiction counselor, founder, and CEO of Creating Greatness Now Coaching and Consulting Services, Dr. Marsha Clark joins us this evening to dialogue about the aforementioned topic. Case in point, ladies and gentlemen, are you using your device? Or is your device using you, per Denzel Washington, that is? Screen addiction has become a pandemic in my mind's eye, and the confirmation or evidence engulfs us all. Technological enslavement is what I deem it to be, and what a heart-wrenching evolution that is, whereas technological devices and their mediums have seized the stage, per se, by virtue of family dinners at lavish dining venues where each solitary individual is gazing downward, tuning into their devices in lieu of one another. Hence, conversation either slows to a screeching halt or, frankly, doesn't materialize. Are today's youth falling prey to excessive gaming and suicide produced by unrealistic measures emanating from Facebook and Instagram, to name a few? Here's what it reads in a Vox.com article, that's V-O-X.com, shared with me by Jeffrey Bradley, my trusted behind-the-scenes team member. Kids have 10 times the amount of screen time they did in 2011 and spend an average of six hours and 40 minutes using technology, according to Common Sense Media. Behind the scenes of the games we play and digital communities we interact with are psychologists and other behavioral science experts who are hired to create products we want to use more and more. Big tech now employs mental health experts to use persuasive technology, a new field of research that looks at how computers can change the way humans think and act. This technique is also known as persuasive design, which is built into thousands of games and apps in companies like Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Amazon, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft rely on it to encourage specific human behavior, even at a very young age. The formula, get this, the formula is that in order to have behavioral change, you need motivation, ability, and triggers. So in the case of social media, motivation is people's craving for social connection. It could also be the fear of rejection and video games. It's the desire to gain skills and accomplishments. So finally, you add triggers, which keep people coming back. So those videos you can't look away from, the rewards you use inside an app when you use it longer, 
or the hidden treasure boxes and games, once you reach a certain level, these are all triggers put there as part of a persuasive design. It also asserts that adults are being affected at their jobs by not working, but kids are being robbed. The type of manipulation and isolation persuasive technology creates takes kids away from real-life engagements like family, focusing on school, making friends. In shorter terms, they're on the threshold of becoming socially bankrupt, in my opinion. It reads further to claim that, quote, everyone is attached to their screens, but specific problems vary by gender. Video games are more addictive for boys, and I've stated this. Boys have a developmental drive to gain abilities and accomplishments, and so video games are created to give them rewards, coins, cash boxes. These are built in to make them feel like they're mastering something. It creates bad habits and statistically poor academic performance. Girls, on the other hand, are more inclined to fall prey to social media. And there are several effects on mental health struggles. Since social media can be hurtful to young girls, and there's been an increase in suicide. Indeed, there's more, but I've included the link on the episode page, ladies and gentlemen, for those interested in reading the article in, in its entirety. I personally view the article as both confirming and disenchanting. Allow me to pivot with a concise original poem I scripted titled Technological Enslavement, The Modernized Jim Crow. Is mankind presently thriving or faltering? And the matrix, that is. Is organic verbal conversation becoming a lost art comprised of sparse relics none other than bearing the wardrobe of kindred antiquated souls versed in virtuosos of the uttered, refined and virginated word, oozing, pouring through unspoiled mouths? Are we, are we becoming technologically obese, given our gluttony, insatiable appetites for social media and their comrades? Has Hulu activated his voodoo or succumbed to the hypnotic trenches of one's call of duty, decimating the great flock of abusers pardoning traditional play? aesthetic recreation, pawning polished vernacular for macular degeneration void of colorblindness, compounding the travesty at hand. Business consulting, certified Christian life coaching to assist clients in identifying their renewed purposes, an excess of 20 years of experience in analytical management and problem solving, laboring as a senior program analyst, and above all, a former addiction counselor, are merely a few gifts and talents in Dr. Marsha Clark's professional repertoire. One of her most accomplished, her most recent accomplishments is becoming a fellow co-owner in the Urban Morning Cooperative and Organization and Movement, launched to rebuild and empower the African-American community one coffee cup at a time. However, her mantra, you must make the choice to take the chance if you want anything in life to change profoundly resonates with me. Without further ado, I introduce to you Dr. Marsha Clark, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Recalibrating the Scales radio show. Dr. Marsha, how are you this evening? Thank you, Mia. It is a pleasure to share the microphone with you. I am doing very well. Um, it is going to be hard to follow you. That was absolutely amazing. The poem was amazing. 
and um, it went to the crux of exactly what we are going to be talking about today. Oh, and I am all ear. Great. So I'll just give a little bit of background about myself. And I'm not an expert in the field of uh, persuasive design. However, I have a background in addictions. And also, um, as Mia just uh, mentioned, I've just uh, finished my PhD. So, of course, there is a history of researching. And so I had to do some researching. Mia sent me the article, and it was quite fascinating. So I grew up in Florida. I graduated from Florida A&M University with a BS in criminal justice. My first job out of college was working with DCFS as a foster care counselor. I did that for approximately a year. All of my family members, including my mother, were educators, so my mom really wanted me to teach, although that was not the path that I wanted to take. But after leaving the foster care system, I did teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students that were put in alternative classes because of behavior problems. Needless to say, there was more correcting behavior than teaching, and I just felt that that was not the right setting for me in a formal classroom. However, throughout the years, I recognized that educating, empowering, coaching, and mentoring was really at the heart of what I did. So after teaching school and working in the classroom, I worked as a probation officer for adolescent boys in an all-boys program, and that is actually what um, moved me from Florida to Maryland. I'm going to fast-track this so that we can kind of get into the topic, but I went back to school in 2004, and I got my MBA. And like Mia talked about, I've just finished my PhD in nonprofit management and leadership. I've worked in corrections. I've worked as an addiction counselor for many years. And currently, um, I work with the federal government as a contracting officer representative. I have over 20 years there. Um, I run two companies. I run Creating Greatness Now, LLC, which is a consulting and coaching company where I work with African-American women, 35 to 65, to own their own businesses so that they can gain more personal and professional freedom in their lives, as well as leave a legacy for their children. I also recently just um, got my 501c3, and I am working on a leadership academy for African-American girls ages 13 to 18, where we focus on leadership, entrepreneurship, and social justice issues. Um, I also work with, I'm the the director of training with New Life Coach, Inc., and that is an organization, a nonprofit as well, where we train individuals to be life coaches and certify them. I've been divorced for the past six years, so if your audience is listening, I'm certainly looking um, now that I'm finished with my PhD, and I have (laughs) 20 So that is my background. That is what I call a locked and loaded baked potato. Wow, Absolutely. you are truly a jackie of all trades, mastering them all, Virgo. Yes, indeed. Well, so you've been so you've enlightened our listeners about yourself and your fields of expertise. Can you lend any wisdom from your prior undertaking in addiction counseling aligned with the topic at hand? Absolutely. So one of the things that when you are know anything about addicts and addiction, 
it when you when someone is addicted, their life becomes unmanageable. And so when we talk about unmanageable, it just simply means that they get to a point where they are not able to function and do the day-to-day things that most of us do on a regular basis. And so although this particular, the power persuasive design may not meet the DSM-4 or the level of addiction at the current, I can certainly see it moving in that way. Because one of the things about addiction is about getting the next high, getting the next drug. One of the things that we say in the addiction field is that uh, one drink of drug is never enough and two is too many. So when we look look at this um, power of per- persuasive design, it goes to, you know, gaming. It goes to um, watching certain movies or watching certain episodes. It goes to how the way that it is embedded in the things that we do, it lends itself to something becoming addiction. Mia talked about unlocking certain spaces when you get to a certain level, Um, having money tied into it. All of those things, if done over a long period of time, can in fact lead to addiction. So that is how I see all of this as coming together. Again, it's not addiction per se, but there are certainly some characteristics that could eventually lend itself to people becoming more and more addicted to this technology. Okay. And and I'm happy, you know, you have the luxury and liberty of reading the article beforehand, which clearly sheds light upon the gaming ramifications in particular impacting young boys since they're more susceptible uh, to addiction. However, um, you've given, and you've also given your overall perception. Um, You can add to that, but I'd also like to know, are we becoming technologically enslaved and obese, particularly pertaining to our youth? Perfect question. I think absolutely that we're becoming uh, technologically enslaved and obese. And so when we talk about technologically enslaved, you know, just even for myself, as I think about um, our devices, uh, my daughter, my cell phone. If I left my cell phone at home, no matter where I was, I would be late to where I was going because I would need to go back and get my cell phone. And my 21-year-old, of course, has a cell phone, but it's a little embarrassing to say I don't know her number because all of my contacts are in my cell phone. Now, God rest my mother's soul, she always kept a paper a phone book. She kept a planner. That planner had all of her numbers in it. Even with her appointments and things, she wrote those things on her planners. When we talk about um, obesity and becoming obese to it, where, where, where obesity comes in is that we are so tethered to our devices that what happens is children find themselves not moving as much. They're not moving as much because they're so focused on this gaming, so focused on episodes and series. Um, One of the things, even when you think about obesity in the form of just talking about foods, it is so easy that we can order stuff. Um, Everywhere delivers. If not, there is now Uber Eats that brings food to you. So technically, you don't have to get up 
from your couch and do anything. And so with that, you can continue to play on the games, continue to look at TV, and there is no interruption. One of the things that is really interesting, if you guys have ever thought about this, when we talk about um, being enslaved, oftentimes you might, especially with Netflix, you know, I've sat down and I've said, I am going to watch a show. For instance, I've watched, uh, let's just say, um, Orange is the New Black. That is an episode that is on Netflix. Well, what happens is when you sit down to watch that show, once the first episode is over with, it immediately goes into the second episode. Whereas if there was nothing that was immediate to go into, I might be more apt to get up, go do some other things, but it tells you. While you're watching, we're going to go into the next segment in a minute, and that series starts. I found myself one time uh, watching that show, and before long, I had watched the entire eight episodes, so I had literally sat in front of the TV for about three hours doing absolutely nothing but wasting time watching TV. And so that is how we become enslaved to the TV, um, video games where kids just play it all day. And what happens is the more they play, the more levels they get to, the more rewards they get. So it's always about, you know, let me try to get to the next level. Let me try to get the next award. And that is how they enslave us, keep us obese, and draw us in. Which is? plays into, you know, the, the, the textbook definition of addiction that you and I are privy to. There's that word more, right. where one and, or some is never enough. Exactly. And one of the things that I did do, Mia, uh, did some little more research is I looked up an article, and that article is found, I believe it's UX Booth, but I looked up the article, and it spoke about persuasive design. And so here is what they used as the definition. They said persuasive design seeks to document and utilize our cognitive biases and similar insights from psychology into persuasive patterns so that we can be more easily applied to product design. So that it is easier to understand that here are a few applications or patterns when they talk about persuasive design. So one, recognition over recall. So what what the industry does is asking users, they, they looked at when you ask users, let's just use the number three. So when they ask users to name three things from memory, consumers use too much brain energy to do that. So what they did was they looked at asking people to pick things from a pre-divined list. And so what that says in the industry and when they're making these games and they're, they're the power of marketing, they're saying it is easier to recognize things that we have previously experienced than it is to recall from memory. So recognition tasks provides memory cues that facilitate the searching through our memory. So this is why a familiar option is often selected over an unfamiliar option, even when the familiar option may not be the best choice. So for instance, 
when you join certain groups, like I know that I belong to, um, I was setting up something. As a matter of fact, we can talk about Google. And so the Google platform, there is a, a space where you can choose from all of these things that you want to see in your feed, so to speak. And so it may have news. It may have health and wellness. It may have computers and gaming. So rather than asking me to list those things, it provides me a list that I can just click on. And then those are the things that are going to show up in my feed. And so this is the use of visual imagery, autocomplete, as well as multiple choice options. Another characteristic of it, persuasive design, is completion. We know that if we are working on a task with an end goal, we utilize the fact that the human has a need for closure, and that drives us towards action. So when you divide larger tasks into subtasks, and then you are rewarded for completing that task, there again is where this whole persuasive design comes in. So when kids are playing video games, at each level they complete a task, they're given rewards. So that could be more chips, more spins, getting a limited edition of something, always another shiny object. So they play and they play and they don't want to leave those games because if there's no completion, there's no reward. And so that's where you have, especially with with boys, where they'll sit down, they'll play the Madden games. Um, they'll play the, I can't remember the one where it was, it had a lot of violence in it, that Mortal Kombat, um, things of that sort. And so they want to keep playing until they unlock the next thing. Um, appropriate challenges. Um, the companies try to make sure that there's a balance between the task not being too hard or too easy because you don't want to lose your audience. And so the more tasks that are completed, the more skill level rise, making previously experienced tasks seem simple and effortless. So what do you do? You keep striving to get to that next level. And then one other characteristic was called tunneling. And so what tunneling is, tunneling guides users through the process or experiences in which persuasion can be used along the way. So you close off detours from the desired behavior without taking away the user's sense of control. You remove any unnecessary functions that might be distractions. So again, I'm going to kind of go back to Netflix. So what you'll notice with Netflix, or we know when you're watching certain series, like I said, it goes off. And then it comes, it lets you know that it's going to come right back on. So you've not had to get up. They've taken out all the guesswork. You know, whereas if, again, if a, if a show comes to completion, you might say, well, that's over. I'll get up and I'll go ahead and do something else. But how they drag you back in is they always will say, here's what's going to happen on the next episode. And so you're looking forward to Next week, if it's not a series where it keeps coming on, you're looking forward to saying, I can't wait to next week because they leave you with a cliffhanger that, again, appeals to drawing you in that I have to be in front of this thing. And so that is how 
um, some of the characteristics, or so to speak, of persuasive design. Okay. That, thank you. That was very, very, very informative. And I definitely would like for us to, um, to speak offline in regards to that in greater depth. We've got about three minutes remaining, but I, I definitely, before time gets away from us, wanted you to shout out your contact. How, how can our listeners contact and or follow you? Perfect. So and you can then certainly... also, if you could go on. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, go on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can reach me at my number is 240-423-9136. And of course, you can reach me at my my website is www.creatinggreatnessnow.com. And my okay. email address and is marsh at creatinggreatnessnow.com. Okay, and thank you so much for lending that. So in a couple minutes that we have remaining, I, I definitely wanted to, to address the solution. Well, a loaded question, but it's in a, as concisely as you virtually possibly can answer. Is technology, in your opinion, the new universal Jim Crow, as I call it? And has the modern age Frankenstein been act- erected? And also, furthermore, what solution can be implemented in regards to screen usage to alleviate to alleviate the screen addiction pandemic and yield a sound equilibrium, which evokes all things things balance, which is what this episode, this platform is all about. Excellent. So let me try to sum this up. So mm-hmm. one of the things is technology is the new universal Jim Crow. Absolutely. There was a study that was done by Northwestern University, and that study said that black and minority children watch 50% more TV per day than whites, and almost 90% have sets in their bedroom. Um, they found that black and minority children spend significantly more of their day watching TV, playing video games, and using their phones than whites. This is what the study found. Now, this was an article um, that was written in 2011. So the study came out in 2011. And so when we think about the new Jim Crow, one of the ways that is, is oftentimes for African-American families, the house may be headed by a single mother. She has to work. It may be difficult getting child care um, on the weekends. She may have to work, may have other children. So it just may not be the um, the luxury of being able to always be there for her child when the child gets out of school or on the weekends. Therefore, the children are left to their own devices. And so what do they do? They will play these games. They will watch TV. So I absolutely think it is the new Jim Crow. And then I think the solution is, is that we just have to get, we have to get kids moving more. We have to occupy their time with reading providing more programs, rules have to be set when we talk about using social media. Um, There has to be an age limit that is set when someone is talking about social media. One of the things that my daughter and I have incorporated whenever we go out to dinner, neither one of us can be on our cell phones because we know that is going to be a time that we are going to be spending quality time. And certainly last but not least, I think education is key. And arming ourselves with knowledge, when we know better, we do better. So I think just having the knowledge, if people, just like not knowing about this article, if more people knew about this article, if they understood the process of persuasive design, I think just knowledge and knowing is half the battle. 
And thank you so much, Mia, for having me on your show. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. This has been a very, very lush episode, to say the least. Stand by for me, Dr. Marsha. I'd like to render my utmost gratitude, appreciation, and accolades, pardon me, to Dr. Marsha Clark for carving out the time, space, and energy to chime in this evening. I also applaud my behind-the-scenes team, Bradley, coupled with all of you magnifying listeners spanning the globe. This platform and movement rests upon your shoulders. Therefore, I humbly implore your, your continued listenership. Until the next episode. This is Normia Vasquez-Scales, signing off.